Church, I am so excited about this series that we're going into. I've been I've been sitting on this for a couple months. I just feel that the season is right to begin to talk about the Holy Spirit, about the Holy Ghost. We're going to be doing a, about a six-week series called The Holy Ghost. And I believe there's three encounters that each one of us are supposed to have with the Holy Spirit. You're born of the Spirit when you receive Jesus. He gives you a new nature. He gives you a new spirit. That's the first encounter that you have. But we also see in Scripture that we are to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. As an endowment of power in the Holy Spirit gives us the ability to walk like Jesus walked. And the third encounter is that throughout our life, Paul describes it as walking in the Spirit. But we are continually filled with the Spirit. It's not just a one-time encounter. But the Holy Spirit fills us again and again and again as we, as we fulfill his mission on the earth. And so throughout these six weeks, we're going to talk about these three encounters. Today, we're going to talk about the person of the Holy Spirit. We're really going to answer the question, who is the Holy Spirit? And what does he do? What's his role in our life? Next week, we're going to talk about the presence of the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit. What happens to you when you say yes to Jesus and where his presence is when you say yes to Jesus? Week three, we're going to talk about the power of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And what happens uh, during the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we're going to go through scripture and we're going to talk about this biblically. And I know that for some of you, maybe you come from backgrounds where you've seen the manifestations of the Holy Spirit abused. You've seen the gifts of the Holy Spirit abused in your life. And maybe for some of you, it's created a timidity or a fear to move into those gifts or to talk about those gifts. But I want to encourage you today that we're going to look at Scripture and we're going to do what Jesus did. And we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit from the lens of the first church in the book of Acts and what Paul says about the Holy Spirit in Romans. And my prayer for you is that something would be unlocked in your heart as we talk about the Holy Spirit. That not it wouldn't just be an, an idea, it wouldn't just be this good thought, but that it would begin to fill your life. And you would have a key that would enable you to go throughout your life walking with the Spirit inside of you. Amen? Amen? And then we're also going to talk, for the last couple of weeks, we're going to talk about some specific gifts of the Holy Spirit. And we'll kind of go through 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 as we tackle topics like uh, the gift of tongues. What is it? Why do we have it? I know for some of us, maybe that is a really foreign gift and it's a foreign idea. It might be a little intimidating, but I want to go jump in head on and talk about the gift of tongues. Why do we have it? What is it? How do you get it? The second, the second gift we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about prophecy. What is biblical prophecy? How do we use it in the church? Because Paul gives us instructions in Corinthians that we are supposed to be operating in the gift of prophecy and all the gifts of the Spirit, but especially the gift of prophecy. He says, I eagerly desire that all of you would prophesy. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. And lastly, we're going to talk about the gift of word of knowledge and what is it. But today... We're going to talk about the person of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> you know, I grew up going to church and uh, learning about the Bible in Sunday school, and I knew that Jesus loved me. I had a sense that the Holy Spirit lived inside of me, but I never actually encountered the Holy Spirit or interacted with the Holy Spirit. I knew he was there. I just don't think I ever acknowledged him or recognized him moving in my life. And as a result, my faith was dead. My faith was limited to this narrow view of Christianity. The Bible was just a list of rules to follow. I, I want to do all these things, 
I want to party. I want to experience this, but the Bible tells me I can't. Bummer. And so the Bible was a big bummer. It was just this big list of rules, do's and don'ts. I can do this. I can't do this. The church was a social club. We got together and we talked about the Holy Spirit, but we didn't ever experience the Holy Spirit. We didn't ever step out in faith and do things that the Holy Spirit is asking us to do. And the miraculous was never seen. Even though we read about it through the book of Acts, we read about the Holy Spirit and what he did. We think, oh, that was for the church then, but it's not for the church now. I never had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. And then I met the Holy Spirit when I came back from my year at college, I was about 19 years old, and I played some worship music in my bedroom. I was frustrated. Some of you have heard this story. I've told the story before. I came back from a year of college, and I was frustrated because my roommate, who I thought loved the Lord, was kind of out partying, doing his own thing, and it looked fun. And I thought, God, if being a Christian is limited to reading about these things, but never experiencing them, and it's limited to this list of do's and don'ts, and and I, I have to go to church because I'm obligated. I feel this social pressure to do. If this is what Christianity is, and I don't want anything to do with it. I'm out. I'm done. But you know what? I don't know what, what caused me to do this. I, I said, I, but I was hungry for a, an encounter with God. And so I went into my bedroom. I was in this one car garage that was separate from the rest of the house. And I began to play worship music. It was the song, How He Loves Us. And as this song is playing, I'll never forget this. As the song was playing, I'm on my knees, and I felt what, what seemed like somebody had just thrown a big quilt over my back. And it just came and rested on me, this weight of the presence of God. And I began to sob, and I could see in my mind's eye Jesus rocking me back and forth. I was, in, I was having an encounter with his Holy Spirit. The presence of God, the Holy Spirit was in my room. And I remember this moment. I, I sat up and I went, wait a minute. I've had this encounter before. I've been to summer camp. I've been to, I've been to, I've been to youth conferences where there's this emotional high. You have this emotional moment. The music is beautiful and everybody else is doing it. But three weeks from now, it's all going to fade. And it's going to seem like it never happened. I've been here before. And I remember saying, God, I want to know that this is your presence, that you are actually here. And so if your presence is actually here, if your spirit is here, then somebody else should be able to feel it too, right? Now, I was not testing God. Okay, don't get me wrong. I was not testing God. I was hungry for his spirit. And so I was curious. And so I unlocked the, the, I unlocked the door to my bedroom, which is previously locked so I could have some privacy. And I had the Xbox in my room. And my little brother and... Uh, his friend, who is now my brother-in-law, he ended up marrying my sister, that traitor. <laughs> he's not sitting in the back and pointing over there like he's, he's probably watching online maybe, but I love you, Kai. You're the best. Uh, him and my brother, I could hear them approach my bedroom. And I turn around just in time to see my brother open up my bedroom door. And as soon as he steps into my bedroom, he just begins sobbing. He had no idea what I was doing in there. He had no idea. They came in to play the Xbox. But the Spirit of God encountered him as soon as he stepped into the room. And he began to sob uncontrollably. And as he's weeping, I turn around and I go, Brian, are you feeling something? What is happening in here? <laughs> I said, Brian, this is the presence of God. This, the Holy Spirit is here. And the two of them entered my room and they got on their knees. And we just began to worship Jesus for about 10 or 15 minutes together. And I remember on that day, I was given a key. The Lord handed me a key 
And he said, this is the key to my presence. It's been unlocked. And from now on, you have this key. The, the door to my presence has been unlocked. You have this key, and you can enter at any time. There's no need to knock. There's no need to lock the door. Just come in. If you're hungry for my spirit, just come in. Don't wait for the next best speaker to come to town. Don't wait for the next youth conference. Don't wait for the next best thing or somebody to motivate you or to feel emotionally charged. Just come in. My spirit is available to you, and whenever you want to meet with me, I'm here. Now, I've had many of those encounters just like that since then. In fact, there was one time when I was dating my wife, and, I, and this new song had come out, and it, it rocked me. I, as, I, as I was listening to it, I could feel that the presence of God, just like it did in my bedroom, and just fell over me. And I was dating my wife at the time, and I just said, Lord, I pray that you would encounter her just like this right now. So I texted her the song. And she said that she opened up the song and the same thing happened to her. She was in a different location, a different house, but the Spirit of God fell on her as she began to worship. And something was unlocked. The Lord was telling us, the Lord is telling us today that his presence is available to you whenever you want. It's a gift that he eagerly desires to give you. Now, it doesn't often look the same. Not everybody has an encounter just like that. The Lord speaks to each one of us in different ways. We have to learn to recognize how the Holy Spirit speaks to us and how he's moving in our life, but he wants to meet with you. The invitation is open. And this is probably why I'm so passionate about the mission of our church. If you don't know already, the mission of our church, it's on our website. It's to see dry places saturated with the presence of God. Did you know this statement is referring to the Holy Spirit? I hope you realize that. To see dry places saturated with the life-giving presence of God, the water of life that the Holy Spirit gives. The prophet Isaiah prophesied about the coming of the Spirit way back in the day before Jesus ever walked the earth. In the Old Testament, Isaiah 43, 19 through 21, he says, forget the former things. This is God talking through Isaiah. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness. I'm making rivers in the desert. I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. See, the Holy Spirit is described as this life-giving river that sweeps through dry places and saturates dry lands. And Jesus uses this same imagery of the Holy Spirit in John chapter 4 when he's speaking to the Samaritan woman at the well. He says this. Jesus told the Samaritan woman, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. He's referring to the Holy Spirit because John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus but when he spoke about Jesus, he said, John the Baptist told his followers, I baptize you with water, but there is coming somebody who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is referring to this at the woman with this woman at the well. The water that I give you will well up into eternal life. See, God's desire is to saturate the earth with his Holy Spirit. Our church exists to partner with God in seeing that a reality here in Ephrata and Soap Lake and Moses Lake and surrounding areas, Quincy. But here's where it starts. It starts with you. It starts with us. The move of God that we so desperately want to see, the dry places that we want to see saturated has to begin with you because 
from you will well up that eternal spring. The Holy Spirit wants to move through you. It can only happen when we are full of God's Spirit. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. We first meet the Holy Spirit in the second verse of the Bible. In the very beginning. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Turn in there with you. It says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Everybody say formless. formless. And darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The Spirit of God was hovering. He was there at the beginning, hovering over the waters. Now when you stop to consider the literal Hebrew in these two verses, you just are in awe of this picture. Because the word formless is the Hebrew word tohu. Say tohu with me. And it means this. It means a place of chaos and confusion. It's a wasteland. And the image is of an earth that is untamed and disorganized. It's this chaotic blob that's untamed and organized and, and just, it's a mess. And then the Bible says this, that the Spirit of God was hovering over that chaotic mess. He was hovering over the surface of the deep. He was hovering over the waters. And the literal word, uh, the literal Hebrew word for that, for that word hovering means to be relaxed or to flutter or hover softly. It's this picture of a bird fluttering or hovering over water, which is, if you know the, the imagery of the Bible, when Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit came down in the form of a dove and rested on Jesus. But it's this picture of a bird calmly fluttering over a chaotic mess. And in the next few verses, God says, let there be light and the spirit of God brings peace to the chaos. The spirit of God, through the utterance of God's mouth, let there be light, let, there, let the, the sun, let it be the sun and the moon and the sky, let the waters be separated from the heavens. And, and God begins to put into place, begins to organize the chaos through the presence of God. This spirit of God who is full of peace and shalom, who's relaxed and softly hovering over chaos, begins to instill peace, shalom into the chaos below him. I find this picture to be very beautiful and encouraging because if God's spirit can bring peace and organization to the world on a cosmic scale, then you can be sure he is hovering over your chaos right now. He's waiting to bring peace to whatever mess you are in. When I think of the word chaos, I think of this morning. My family of four, my babysitters are gone, my mom and dad. They're out of town. And uh, when they're out of town, we've got to get the kids ready early. They're coming to church early. My, my wife and I were both leaving worship, so they're here early at worship practice with us. But everybody's waiting till the last minute. We're getting everybody dressed, and there's whining and complaining, and, and, and nobody's eating breakfast, so everybody's tired and hungry. And then we get here, and we're leading, we're, we're practicing, and my kids are screaming all over the, the sanctuary and pulling on our legs and trying to talk to us while we're singing and trying to practice with the team. And then I turn on the projector, and everything's flickering and not working, and I'm like, this is chaos. What's happening? I just want to go to church in peace. 
I just want quiet. I just want everything to go smoothly. Has anybody ever had a Sunday morning like that? Anybody with young kids know what I'm talking about? It's hard. And I have to remind myself, the Spirit of God is hovering over that mess. Now that's a small mess. Some of you find yourself in some serious chaos. Some of you find yourself in the middle of financial turmoil. Maybe some relationships are falling apart. I don't know what you're going through, but the Spirit of God is hovering over your chaos this morning. He wants to bring shalom. He wants to bring peace into the mess. From Genesis to Revelation, there's this overarching storyline of mankind's relationship with the Spirit of God. And what we see in Genesis chapters 1 and 2 is a picture of a perfect relationship with God. Adam and Eve were immersed in God's presence like fish in water. It was all around them. Eden was perfect. It was holy. It was a holy place. It was the place where God dwelt. Because God would walk around Eden in the cool of days. There was no sin that was causing him to not be there. It was a perfect place. And his presence could fill the entire garden. And so Adam and Eve would walk around immersed in the spirit of God. Breathing in the spirit of God into their lungs. It was all around them. The first two chapters in the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2, they mirror the final two chapters in the Bible because what we see in Revelation 21 and 22, by the way, you know what happens when you take sin out of the Bible, what you get? You get a pamphlet. <laughs> Genesis 1 and 2 and Revelation 21 and 22, that's what happens when you take sin out of the Bible. But Revelations 21 and 22, they mirror the garden in the beginning. What we read in Revelation 21 and 22 is that God is taking us back to a garden-like city at the end, where we will be once again reunited in the fullness of God's spirit. He's taking humanity back to the relationship that we had with him in Eden, the perfect relationship where we are immersed in his spirit and we breathe his spirit into our lungs. Here's what Revelation 21, 5 through 7 says. Maybe some of this language will sound familiar. It says, he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Did we just read something like that? Then he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. Somebody get a pen and paper, write this down. He said to me, verse 6, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Do you catch that language? I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. In Genesis 1 and 2, we see a tree that is put in the center of the garden, and it's the tree of life. And God said, you can eat of this tree all you want. But when sin entered the world, God separated them from the tree of life. They had to live. They had to go outside of the garden. It was sealed off. They couldn't come in and eat from the tree of life anymore. And in Revelation 21 and 22, God says, I will give them water without cost from the spring of eternal life. I will give it back to them. The imagery here of this water is the spirit of God that is filling the place where we will be united with him when Jesus returns. He's taking us back to the place where we are fully united with his spirit. Next week, we're going to talk more about the promise and the presence of the Holy Spirit beginning in Genesis all the way to Revelation, but today we're going to focus on answering the question, who is the Holy Spirit, what is he supposed to do, and what is his role? 
And in order to do that, we have to first start with the doctrine, talking about something called the doctrine of the Trinity, or the theology of the Trinity. What is the Trinity? It's made up of two words, tri-unity, three into one, three that are united. And the word Trinity is not used in the Bible. In order, in order to talk about the doctrine of the Trinity, we use what we call systematic theology to talk about this doctrine. It's essentially the idea that uh, there can be we, we, we read through scripture and we find out that there are multiple truths. We find that multiple things are true in order to come up with this idea of the Trinity. The first truth that we see in scripture is we know because of scripture that God is one. We serve one God. He is one. Deuteronomy 6.4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And this is just one example of many examples throughout scripture where we know that we serve one God. So this is the first truth, that God is one. But we also see in Scripture there's another truth, that God is three distinct persons. How can this be? Genesis 1.26, listen to this language. It says, then God said, then God said, that's singular, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. God said is singular, and let us in our image, that's plural, in Isaiah 6, 8, it says, Then I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? God is talking about the three distinct persons of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But this goes even deeper. We know that Jesus is God. This is the, the third truth that we can see, that Jesus claimed to be God, that he is a member of the Trinity, yet he is God. He is fully God. Philippians 2, 5 through 6 says, Who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. This passage is saying, what Paul is saying is that Jesus possessed equality with God. He was God. But he did not attempt to hold on to it. Instead, Jesus chose to live the life of humanity, to be fully man and experience everything that you've ever experienced, every trial, every hardship, every heartbreak, Jesus has been through it. And he did it. He lived a perfect and sinless life full of the Spirit, and he modeled for us what that looks like. We know that Jesus is God. We serve one God, according to Scripture. Scripture also says that God has three distinct persons. We also know that scripture says that Jesus is God. And lastly, scripture also says that the Holy Spirit is God. Acts 5, 3 through 5. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to just human beings, but to God. Paul says you've lied to the Holy Spirit, therefore you've lied to God. The Holy Spirit is God. God and the Spirit and Jesus are one and the same. So here's the definition of the Trinity. God eternally exists as three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And each person is full God, and there is one God. It is not three modes of God. 
or three roles of God. They are three persons who are one. Now, everybody take a deep breath. Does your mind hurt yet? What does this mean? There are so many of analogies that I've heard about the Trinity, how to best describe the Trinity, but they all fall short, honestly. I've heard somebody describe the Trinity as the state of water, right? You can have water, you can have ice, and when it evaporates, it turns to gas. It's all the same matter, but they're all in different states, and I think that that analogy just falls completely short. But I think the best way to look at it, if we were to offer something to maybe help clarify I think the best way to look at it is not outward at things outside, but to look inward into your own self, right? The scripture says that you have been created in the image of God. How many of you have ever had a conversation with yourself before? <laughs> Has anybody had, should I go to church this morning? No, there's too much to do around the house. No, you need to go to church, okay? That'd be good for you. No, but I've got all this stuff to do. We have conversations with ourselves, don't we? Mark 12, 30. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul. We have emotions. We have intellect. We have will. All wrapped up into one person, one being. It all describes who I am, but they are different persons of me. Does that make sense? God created us in his image. We are complex human beings, just like God is a complex character. He's a complex being. We are independent, yes, yet also inter interdependent with ourselves. Someone once said, try to explain it and you'll lose your mind, but try to deny it and you'll lose your soul. It's difficult to explain it. But scripture says it's true, and we have to trust scripture. The Holy Spirit is not a feeling. He's not a vapor. He's not some mystical or mental creation in our minds. The Holy Spirit is a person. And we can be confident of this because Jesus himself makes it clear in John 14. I think the entire doctrine of the Trinity can be made most evident in this scripture that we're about to read. John 14, 16 through 17. Jesus is saying this. Jesus, one of the members of the Trinity... He's saying, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Jesus clearly expresses the doctrine of the Trinity in this single passage. All three of them are seen in these in these two verses. Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as he and him, not as an it. And the word that he uses for the Holy Spirit is the Greek is the word advocate, and it's the Greek word parakletos. Everybody say parakletos with me. It, it's a combination of two Greek words. The word para means to come alongside, and the word kletos means called. So the Holy Spirit is the one who is called to come alongside of or to be inside of the believer. Scripture also describes him as our intercessor, as our counselor, our comforter, our helper, our friend. And Jesus made it very clear that it was important for him to ascend to heaven so that the Holy Spirit could be with the believers. In John 16, 7, he says, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. 
Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. How many of you wish that you could be just like one of the 12 disciples? And man, if I could just see Jesus' face. If, I, if he were next to me, all the questions that I would ask him, the things that I would ask him, all the things that I would do and say if Jesus was right next to me. You know what? Jesus thought, I got a better idea. I have to go away so that all of my people can have that relationship with me, not just a few at one time. Jesus was confined to a mortal body at the time. He was confined to an earthly form. He was a man that could walk from one place to the other and, and could only come in contact with a few people at a time until his resurrection, where he we see him bopping about all over the place from the disciples to the, the people on the road to Aramaeus. And, but before his resurrected body, Jesus was confined to one place. And he knew, I have to send the Holy Spirit so that all of my people can have a relationship with the Father. The Holy Spirit is necessary because he fills on earth the role of Jesus to every single one of us. If you've ever asked, I just wish that Jesus was here so I can ask him some questions. Guess what? The Holy Spirit is your counselor. He is your teacher. He wants you to ask him questions. He is here. He's inside of you. He's not far off. Amen. The Holy Spirit makes it possible for each one of us to know Jesus, his love for people, his love for us. The Holy Spirit gives us clarity in the scripture. He teaches us how to interpret scripture and the Holy Spirit also helps us become like Jesus in character. And the next couple of weeks, we're going we're gonna to talk about those three primary encounters, the, the being born of the Spirit, baptizing the Holy Spirit, and continuously filled with the Holy Spirit. But before you understand what the Holy Spirit does, we've got to understand who the Holy Spirit is. We often want the gifts before we want the giver. But the gifts come out of a deep relationship with person of the Holy Spirit. The church has overemphasized and many, there's been two extremes in the church actually. Uh, either, either the church will focus on the gifts and the manifestations themselves, and they would go so far as to say that if they're not gifts and manifestations and the Holy Spirit isn't here, that's one extreme. The other extreme would be timid. Maybe they've seen the abuse of the spiritual gifts and maybe it, it, it's a little intimidating to start talking about the move of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, and so there's this absence of the Spirit of God. And the Spirit is minimized. He's squelched. And I believe that there is a healthy balance where we can live in the middle of that, just like the first church did. Where they kept their eyes on the presence of God. They kept their eyes on the giver of the gifts and understood that a relationship with him is most important. And they saw from that place of Deep intimacy with the Lord, deep intimacy with the Holy Spirit. From that place, they saw manifestations and gifts and the power of the Spirit move. The Holy Spirit is incredible, church. He's essential. The Holy Spirit gives you gifts. The Holy Spirit produces fruit in you. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control. I think I missed one. But here's the tragedy. The Holy Spirit's incredible, but the tragedy is what you often see today is believers in Jesus whose lives look no different than the rest of the world. 
Their lives look exactly the same. They're bound and imprisoned to the same sins as other people in a cycle of sin, in a cycle of struggle. They're, they're people who are afraid. They're struggling with fear and worry. Their lives look just like the rest of the world. But the defining factor in your life that separates you from anyone who doesn't follow Jesus is the Holy Spirit. Many people are living a spirit-less life when God wants us to live a spirit-led life. The ultimate goal of the Holy Spirit, his ultimate role, because we look at, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we, we think of the word dynamite. This is the Greek word dynamis, the word for power. We think of the power of the Spirit. We have, the, the Spirit's role is to empower us, it's to get us ready to do the work of the Lord. Fire us up, you know, give us what we need to complete the mission. Can I tell you, the Holy Spirit does that. But the role of the Holy Spirit is not to give you power. It's to make you holy. The Spirit's primary role is not to give you power. It's to make you holy. It's to change you. From the inside out to make you more like Jesus. Without the Holy Spirit, you can't do it. Without a new nature, without a new spirit being placed in you and the Holy Spirit guiding you and directing you, you cannot live a life that pleases God. Romans 8 says, those who have the spirit belong to him. If they don't have the spirit, they don't belong to him. The Holy Spirit, is a, his role is to make you holy. In 1 Corinthians 13, it's widely known as the love chapter in the Bible. It's quoted at weddings because it gives such a beautiful picture of what love's, love looks like. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love holds no records of wrong. We're like, yes, it feels good to read this chapter. Did you know that 1 Corinthians 13 was written in the context of spiritual gifts and spiritual instruction or instruction to the church of Corinthians for how to operate in spiritual gifts. This is what Paul says regarding, regarding gifts. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 3. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, who wants that? But I have not loved. I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, but I have not love. And if I have faith that can move mountains, but I don't have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and I give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I don't have love, I gain nothing. Paul is saying that power is pointless if your heart hasn't been changed. Yeah. Power is pointless if the Holy Spirit hasn't done a work in your life. Because if the Holy Spirit hasn't done a work in your life, then power is dangerous in your hands. But when the Holy Spirit changes us, and he makes us holy, and he teaches us to walk like Jesus, and he teaches us how to do it, he gives us the tools... That's when power blesses people. Yeah. And that's when they can be truly loved. The gifts of the Spirit, the manifestations of the Spirit, they are for God's glory. 
and they are to love the rest of the world, to bring them to a relationship with Jesus. Without having your heart changed, power is pointless. We are born into the world as broken and selfish people, but the Spirit comes, and you're given a new nature and the ability to love fully. So what does the Holy Spirit do? He makes us holy, but here's three roles. Three roles that the Holy Spirit is meant to play in our lives, and there is much more, church. I'm sure there is, but this morning we're going to talk about these three roles of the Spirit in your life. Number one, the Spirit's role is the comforter, and He comforts you. He is the comforter. The Holy Spirit is our ultimate pastor. He is our ultimate shepherd. He comforts you. John 14, 16 says, and I will pray the pray, and I will pray to the Father, and He shall give you another Comforter. This is the King James version, that He may abide with you forever. Have you ever seen somebody go through a difficult time without God, and compare it to somebody who goes through a difficult time with the Comforter? Yes. I've seen tragedy strike. I've seen tragedy strike people who do not have a relationship with God and their life crumbles. They fall apart because they didn't have an anchor. They don't have the comforter. And then I see tragedy strike a believer who is full of the spirit and they have the comforter and they make it through. And they end up better on the other side oftentimes. They're not shaken because of tragedy. When you need the tender affection of God, he provides it to you through the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit fills your deepest need to be loved, to be known, to experience the love of the Father. The Holy Spirit is your personal shepherd. You want to know one of the greatest ways that the Holy Spirit comforts us. In Scripture, Paul describes the Holy Spirit as our seal and our pledge. What does that mean? Well, a seal back in the day was, you know, typically on a ring and they would whoever was sending the seal would stamp the letter with their seal as a symbol of their authority. So whoever carried the letter with them had the authority of the one who sent them. And so the Holy Spirit is our seal, but Paul also says that he is our pledge. And what does this mean? The word pledge in the Greek is still used today to describe an engagement ring. It means a down payment or a promise of something that is to come. Romans 8 say, says that those who do not have the spirit do not belong to him. What, what does that mean to have the pledge of God over your life? The Holy Spirit is your pledge, meaning the Holy Spirit is your down payment. He is a promise of an eternity to come with God. If you've ever wondered in your life, am I really saved? Am I gonna make the cut? Let me ask you, do you have the spirit of God? Because if you do, the Bible says that he is your pledge. He is the promise of something to come. God has given you the spirit as a down payment to say, I have already purchased you and I've got something even better, a more perfect relationship that is coming when Jesus returns. If you've ever questioned your salvation, you can take comfort knowing that the comforter is your pledge. He is your down payment. He assures you of your salvation. And church, that is comfort. That brings me comfort, it brings me peace to know that I have the Spirit of God, that I belong to Him. What's the second way, the second role of the Holy Spirit is He is our counselor. 
So he counsels you. He is your teacher. John 14, 26 says, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. The Holy Spirit is your guide in life. Let me ask you, have you ever been in a situation where you needed direction before? Our culture has come to rely so heavily on Google Maps or Apple Maps, right? I'm sure if you gave, if you told a young person to, to get to Portland, Oregon, they'd have no idea how to get there. I don't know where to, you know, because we've come to rely on that little voice in the car saying at the next light, turn left, stay in the middle lane, caution, road work ahead. Can I tell you, this is the voice of the Holy Spirit in your life? The Holy Spirit is our GPS. He's our counselor. He's our teacher. He's the one who says, at the next light, turn left. Caution. There's road work ahead. Go slow. Stay in the middle lane. Stay in your lane. Don't get out of your lane. The Holy Spirit is our guide. How do I know this? Well, Isaiah told me this. Isaiah 30, 21. He says, whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. Amen. Proof. Holy Spirit is your GPS. He's your teacher. He's your counselor. He will tell you where to go. And we all need a counselor in our life. We all need a teacher. It's the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you, when you don't know where to go, who do you turn to first? Where do you turn first when you don't know where to go and you're unsure? Do you kind of buckle down and try to figure it out yourself? Do you talk to your spouse? Do you... Talk to a friend. The Holy Spirit says, when you don't know where to go, you don't know what to do, I am the voice in your ear that tells you where to go. And we're going to get into it later on in this series. We're going to talk about how to identify that voice in our head and how to know, is this the Holy Spirit or is this me? How many of you have ever wondered that? And the Holy Spirit's talking to you and you're just like, is this the Lord or am I talking to myself again? Do I have good ideas in my head or bad ideas in my head? I don't know. But the Holy Spirit, when we learn to hear the voice of the Spirit, when we tune into the frequency of God's voice, Jesus said, my sheep, they know me, they hear my voice. And we need to learn how to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit in our life. Here's the third role of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is our ultimate pastor. He's our ultimate teacher. He is the comforter. He is the counselor. But the Holy Spirit is also the one who convicts you. He is our prophet. He speaks, he's our ultimate prophet. He speaks into our hearts what's true, what's right, and what's wrong. John 16, verse 8 says, When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Let's talk about conviction for a second, church. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is gentle yes. and loving. Amen. And conviction is not harsh judgment. Conviction is so sweet. It's a whisper. Why is it sweet? Because conviction is an invitation to experience God. When you hear the conviction of the Holy Spirit in your life, and the Holy Spirit tells you, this is wrong. What I'm doing is wrong. And he convicts you about something that you're doing, some, something in your life. He convicts you about that. What the Holy Spirit is doing is he's gently trying to save you from further judgment. He's trying to save you from a life that is about to go awry. You're about to get off the track. You're about to wander away. And when the Holy Spirit convicts you, it's his sweet voice saying, no, 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 no. Come back this way. Come closer to God. You're wandering away. 
You're, you're getting farther away from God. Just come back. Just come back. Now, conviction, it may cost you something to, to confess your sin. It may cost you something to change your way. It might be difficult, but it is the sweet voice of the Lord drawing you near to him once again, saying, listen, we've got to change this. We've got we've to do something about this. The Holy Spirit draws us to God. Now, you may not be a church person. You may not be a Bible person. But you're drawn to God nonetheless. You've been made, you've been created in the image of God, whether you like it or not. The Bible says that we've all been created in the image of God. And there's something in you that is yearning or desiring something more. And it's the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're at a place in your life where you say, there's got to be more. I am frustrated with where I'm at. I've tried to build my own kingdom. I've tried to build my own empire. It is falling underneath my feet. I don't know what's happening. I don't know what my purpose in life. I feel insignificant because what we do in our life is we place all of our value and security into a relationship. And when that relationship falls apart, we become nothing. We put all of our value and security into a job. Or a talent that we have. And when we get older and we can't do those talents anymore. And that, that identity is gone. That our, our identity crumbles. It falls apart. Who, are, who am I? What, what, what's my purpose in life? What am I here for? There's something in each one of us that wants to make a difference. That wants to know that there is a higher calling to my life. There's a higher power that's directing my life. And it's the Holy Spirit drawing you to God. He's convicting your heart and pulling you closer to God. And my encouragement for you this morning, I'm going to invite Christina to come up as we get ready to close. But my courage, encouragement for you this morning is do not fight the Holy Spirit. Do not drown out his voice. Do not push away his drawing you near. Why? Because your heart can become hard if you do that. You know what happens after time when the Holy Spirit comes to you and he convicts you or begins to speak to you and you say, no, 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 I don't want to hear that. I'm not done having fun or I'm not, doing, I'm not done doing things my way. Let me finish doing things my way. And we push the voice of the Holy Spirit aside. What happens is what Paul describes as a searing of our conscience. Our hearts grow hard. And the voice of the Holy Spirit is harder and harder to recognize because we've become accustomed to just drowning it out as soon as we hear it. And my encouragement to you is when you hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, do not fight him. Do not resist him. He might be asking you to change. He might be asking you to do something that is difficult. But it's because he loves you. And he knows the right way. He knows how to get you to the destination where God wants you. God the Father sent the Son to die on the cross for you, to rise from the grave, to return to heaven, and send the Holy Spirit so that you could know the Father. Jesus was probably the most excited about going to heaven because he knew, oh, guys, I've got something that you're going to love. I've got a gift. The Bible describes the Holy Spirit as the promise of the Father the gift of the Father, and when the Holy Spirit, when Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit, if you read scripture, you can almost hear it in his voice. You guys, I'm sending you something. 
I am sending you someone who is going to comfort you. He's going to encourage you. He's going to equip you. He's going to get you ready. He's going to, he's going to take care of every need that you ever have. I'm so excited to go so I can send him to you. And the disciples are probably standing there going, well, we don't want you to go. Why are you leaving? You just rose from the dead. And he says, guys, I've got to go because I've got something better. So you can imagine these 120 people waiting around in Jerusalem in an upper room. I think it says about 10 days after Jesus ascended, the room was full of the Spirit. They were all baptized in the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about that. I believe the Lord, the Spirit of God, wants to have an encounter with you. Surrender to the Spirit. Don't resist. Can I ask everybody to stand up as we close? I want to give you two invitations this morning. Two invitations. The first invitation is for those of you who may have never put your faith in Jesus. Or maybe at one point in your life you did, but you walked away. And since then you've noticed you've resisted the Holy Spirit in your life. But you're in a place now where you need him more than ever. And can I tell you that change, that miracle that you're looking for, that freedom from that bondage, whatever that is, it doesn't start with you trying to be a better person or trying to accomplish something on your own. It doesn't start with that. It starts with surrender. With saying, God, I can't do it. I've tried and I'm failing. I need your spirit in my life. It starts with a commitment to believe in him. And if that's you, I want everybody to, to bow your heads, close your eyes. If that's you who I just described, and you say, I'm ready, I need to give my life to Jesus, would you raise your hand? All heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I just want to, I want to partner with you in prayer. Raise your hand right now if that's you. Praise God. Anybody else? Lift your hands high so I can see it. Praise you, God. Would everybody say this with me? Those who raise their hand, I want you to believe this in your heart. Everybody repeat after me. Dear God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus into the world. I believe he died on the cross for my mistakes. I believe he rose from the grave. Forgive me of my sins. Give me the gift of eternal life. Give me your spirit to help me live the life you've called me to. I surrender my life to you. In Jesus' name. Everybody look up at me. If you pray that for the first time, I want you to know that you have a new spirit. It's a gift received by faith. You've been given a new nature to walk in. The Holy Spirit has done away with your old self. And he's birthing inside of you the ability to walk like Jesus. Does that mean your life's going to be perfect, that you're never going to struggle with sin ever again? Absolutely not. But the Holy Spirit is here now to help you, to equip you, to do the work of God, to make you holy, to make you look like Jesus. The second invitation is for those whose life is surrendered to Jesus, but you need a fresh outpouring of the Spirit. Maybe you just felt dry. You felt like, I, I feel like my faith is going through this valley. It's dead. 
I want us to invite a fresh outpouring of the Spirit into this room. So if that's you, just raise your hands up to heaven right now. If you want a fresh outpouring of the Spirit, for God to fill you up, don't worry, it's not going to get weird in here. Just raise your hands up to heaven and say this. Holy Spirit, I want more. Fill me again. Help me to feel your presence in my life. Help me to be holy like you are holy. I surrender my life once again to you. Just stay in this place with your hands raised up. Stay in this place for about 30 seconds. Spirit, come. Yeah.